Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, this is Liz Clark, and welcome to another episode of Nakubo in Brief. Today, we're very excited to have some guests from uh, uh, the UK joining us today. They are in the United States on a study tour as a part of their organization, the AUA. Uh, And Sophia, Lucy, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Sophia. I'm Sophia Hardin from Staffordshire University. Hi, I'm Lucy Hemming from Imperial College London. Fantastic. So let's just start off with the basics. What is the AUA? The AUA stands for Association of University Administrators in the UK. It's um, the association for administrators and managers. It has over 3,000 members from early career up to registrars, basically. Um, And the aim of the AUA is to encourage members to promote education, if you like, for for public good um, by exchanging knowledge and um, experiences and developing our own and others' careers through um, uh, professional um, um, expertise um, and also promoting the AUA internationally as well um, and promoting a culture of um, fairness, inclusivity and, and equal opportunity. Thank you. It sounds somewhat similar to Nakubo. We largely serve the financial officers at institutions and the administrators that report up to them. Uh, It sounds like your organization has a bit more breadth, and I would say it sounds like you have somewhat more of a focus on the academic mission than Nakubo has historically had, but a lot of those themes are covered in our professional development work. Uh, So... Uh, Sophia, Lucy, you're here on a study tour. Um, Maybe, Lucy, tell me a little bit about the study tour and why you're a part of it. Uh, Yes, certainly. So um, every year the AUA runs a study tour to a different country. So in the past, in the recent past, they've been to places like Sweden, South Africa and Poland. Uh, And it's a way of learning about each other's practice. So Uh, As I think we'll go on to discuss, there are a lot of things that are the same in higher education across different countries, and there are things that are different, Um, and it's a way about learning from each other, so we're able to to learn from you today, um, and you're hopefully able to learn a little from us. 
Um, so there's 12 of us who've come away on this tour. We've been in uh, New York last week and we're in uh, Washington, D.C. this week visiting a number of institutions. And I really wanted to take part because of, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, very often when you're working in higher education, obviously your day-to-day -day work is, is so busy. You don't necessarily always get the chance to reflect on what you're doing and why you're doing it and whether there are other ways of doing it. Whereas coming on the study tour is a really good way of learning about how other people are doing it and, and giving yourself that space for that reflection. So certainly I feel that's what I'm getting out of being here. I agree. I think when you're able to immerse yourself in a situation, you can understand not just the top level issues, but the nuances that impact the decisions that are made and why they're made and understand them in a different way than uh, listening to them in a webcast or a podcast or reading a magazine article. Uh, so you're joining me here for this podcast after hearing about some of our Nakubo work, several topics we've covered in previous Nakubo and Brief podcasts from looking at college and university endowments to the practice of tuition discounting. Uh, and we spent a significant amount of time talking about the challenges American institutions are facing with their business models. Now, I, I'm interested in hearing more about how these issues resonate with you or not. Uh, my first question uh, is, are you facing the same questions about value in the UK uh, that we seem to be facing here in the United States? Uh, is there negative public discourse about higher education? Uh, I think the, the easy answer is yes, we are facing a very similar uh, environment. If you were to look at press coverage, for example, around universities over the past couple of years, it's it's been quite negative. Um, and it's part of a sort of overall public narrative, particularly around tying more closely the value of a degree to potential earnings. Um, so kind of prioritising this idea of financial return over what has traditionally been seen as the mission of institutions, which has been about public goods, not private goods. Um, and as part of that discussion around money, uh, that's been both about how students and their families are affected in terms of we've seen a rise in tuition fees uh, over the past few years, that there are discussions at the moment which, which may change that. Um, so about the money that they're putting in, this kind of general idea is the, of the money the taxpayer is putting in um, and what people are actually getting out of that. Um, so the growing concerns about student debt um, and there are concerns about the extent to which people should be studying things that will then have a positive impact in the economy, so therefore going into particular subjects and, and work areas, um, rather than, again, the idea that you could go to university and sort of navigate your way through individually, you, you know, and it, it could be that what you end up doing has a good financial return for yourself and for other people, but, but that wasn't really the primary aim. Um, so, so that's a big part of it. And there have also been sort of tangential bits off that. So we've seen um, quite a lot of press coverage around uh, Vice-Chancellor pay. Um, we've seen kind of press coverage around um, the cost of residential accommodation for students in, in higher education. So there's kind of a range of things around money um, that has dominated the conversation about higher education, whereas money is, is only one part of, of the conversation we want to be having. 
Just to supplement that, it's, um, it ties in with the student experience as well. So, so the value for money for the for the student as well. So, often we hear how um, 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 tuition fees buy an education, but actually it 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 contributes towards the overall student experience. So, it is a matter of explaining to the student and and other stakeholders what that actually means. It's all the support mechanisms in place and everything else that will help the student achieve their their ultimate goal. It's not just about getting from A to B, but everything in between as well. It's also connected um, around social mobility. So we've seen a, a sort of a massification of higher education in the UK over the past 20, 30 years, which means more and more people are going to university. Um, but there are still a, a group of students who are underrepresented, um, and that could be Due to, uh, as they're coming from areas of disadvantage, you know, social economic disadvantage, could be that they're from particular uh, ethnic groups, um, and that has a factor as well in terms of universities are expected to play a very strong role in terms of so, uh, social mobility, and how we can kind of square that with some of the other things that are going on, such as what is the impact of, of you know, the fear of debt among certain populations of students and how, how we can square some of those circles. Everything you've said could be said about the conversations we're having here in the United States. It's very, very similar. I think uh, in some ways, in a nutshell, the way we look at it here at Nakubo is that we've reached this point where there's an uncomfortable conversation about the fact that there is both public good and private gain to higher education. And uh, are we comfortable having that conversation? Are we comfortable explaining both the private gain and the public good? And then as a result, when there are so many taxpayer dollars at stake, what's the proper balance? Uh, if we admit there is some type of private gain, uh, what is the right role for taxpayer dollars in those circumstances? And uh, thank you. That's very interesting to hear that you're, you're contending with the same questions uh, that, that we're facing here. Uh, here, uh, we have a system where many institutions have endowments that help support uh, an institution's offering. Some colleges and universities have significantly larger endowments than others. Uh, for private universities, it's a major part of their funding model. For uh, some other privates that aren't as endowment dependent, it still supplements their budgeting. And uh, the same is true about public universities. And on top of that, a culture of alumni giving contributes to uh, the role an endowment can play at an institution, in addition to the long-term history of an institution and where its wealth may have come from. I'm curious, is there a culture of alumni giving? Uh, uh, does development play a role at your institutions? Are endowments as closely scrutinized as they are here at U.S. institutions? I think it is a different picture in the U.K. There isn't... Um such a strong history of endowments, um, particularly in the way that we've heard about some of the American institutions that we've visited over the past week and a half. Um, there are some institutions that have what might be called a more traditional American model of endowments, but they're very few and they tend to be the top Russell Group institutions, which is primarily our research-intensive uh, institutions. Um, 
It's also complicated by the fact that we have different funding models across the UK. So because of devolution, there are different funding models for higher education in England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland. And so there are different amounts of money which go into the systems and therefore different amounts different amounts of money that institutions might require outside of what they get from the government. Um, but there is, I think there is a culture, a that's gradually growing around giving and I know there's been a lot of work by a number of institutions first of all to engage with alumni just on a very basic relationship level of, of kind of carrying on that relationship that starts when while they're there uh, and part of that is linked to then wanting to to, to encourage them uh, to give back to the institutions where, where hopefully they've achieved uh, success and, and kind of, you know, we'll, we'll want to, we'll feel warmly and want to, to give back to support the next generation of students um, coming. But as I say, I think, I think it is quite different. There's also quite a good culture now that, that's growing, which isn't about financial returns from alumni, but about the other um, opportunities that they can offer to current students. So whether that's mentoring, internships, careers advice. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a big part that's to play, uh, which goes back to the idea uh, that we were talking about earlier, which is money isn't the only uh, kind of factor that we're, we're thinking about when it comes to higher education. And actually being able to, to gain the benefit from people who have come before doesn't have to be just about money. It it's could be about... It's just a contribution. It could yeah. be engagement. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so the gift might not be money necessarily, but it might be other ways of supporting that institution and promoting that institution as well. So international alumni spreading the word and hosting dinners, um, you know, doing that, that work that um, universities want to do through their own departments as well. It's with me in terms of the experience many of our state universities are going through. Some of them have strong alumni and endowment histories. Others have historically been strongly supported by state appropriations. And since the Great Recession, not so much. And in response, we see them significantly growing their alumni affairs and development operations in a way that sounds similar to what's happening for uh, your institutions. Yeah, I don't know the statistics, but I would imagine if you looked at uh, where staffing increases are happening within higher education institutions, there'll be a number where you would see a, a, a significant trend, even if it's small, a significant trend for increases in, in hiring around development and alumni engagement. Um, let's switch gears for a minute and talk about data analytics. We spent some time today talking about Nakubo's work in this space and how we see it changing American higher education. Uh, but we also talked about some of the, the potential ethical considerations that need to be taken into consideration. I know as we looked at the UGDPR, the data protection regulations, uh, I was fascinated to learn that one of the underpinnings of UGDPR, uh, the general data protection regulation, was that was the position that individuals have a fundamental right to the protection of their personal data. I, I'm just curious how this conversation is playing out uh, generally about privacy, ethics, uh, and data, and how it may be impacting your institutions. I don't think we've necessarily seen the conversation around GDPR as much yet around analytics. We've seen it more uh, in, a, in a sort of in a very basic level in students better understanding 
that the university does hold a wealth of data on them and wanting to know what that data is and how it's used. But I think because the conversation around analytics in, in UK higher education is, is only at the start, we haven't necessarily got as far on the conversation specifically around analytics. Um, but I think that in the same way that, that you're grappling with in the US, um, institutions are aware of the kind of ethical considerations. Um, and I know that our National Union of Students um, has is wanting to make sure that that's part of the conversation. There are a lot of things that we're talking about in terms of the good that analytics might be able to do in terms of identifying students who may be in need of more support in terms of uh, whether that's for academics or whether that might be because they're facing personal difficulties uh, in terms of helping students understand their own data and their own engagement in their studies um, but there is there is this need to make sure that the data is being used sensitively uh, and appropriately um, and I, I think we have various organisations within the UK that, that are kind of helping um, in terms of helping organisations understand how they navigate those relationships. And so we have a, a code of practice uh, developed by um, an organisation called JISC, which is around how we use data for, for, for learning analytics. As I said, I know the National Union, Union of Students has been uh, involved in that uh, process. It's um, fascinating to me that you have uh, a group of people that have already come together collectively to look at the considerations that need to be uh, examined as as higher education pursues down this lane. So we um, covered a lot of ground today in our other conversations, and I know that we spent a significant amount of time talking about the sustainability of American higher education institutions. And I'm curious what your reaction is to that, and uh, specifically, I'm wondering, are colleges and universities in the UK as concerned with their future and their business models as we are here in the United States? I think we definitely are. Um, I think uh, in the same way we were talking earlier about um, demographic changes, uh, so we're actually experiencing a demographic trend right now in terms of a declining proportion of 18-year-olds uh, in the population, so that's something that we're, that we're universities are having to grapple with. Um, our uh, funding model um, is based currently on a, a being able to charge maximum fees for undergraduate students of £9,250 a year. Um, but there's currently a review going on, the AUGA review, um, which may be recommending that those, ma the maximum fees are cut um, and institutions are concerned about uh, if tuition fees are cut, how they can continue to deliver. Um, we rely, or at least a number of institutions rely heavily on international student recruitment. Um, and there are, in the same way that the American system, you know, is often relying on that, uh, changes in terms of where international students are going, the development of higher education systems within their own countries, um, changes in terms of visa regulations, uh, all impact uh, students being able to come into the UK. Um, we won't go into it, but... Um, uh, your listeners may be aware that the UK is currently uh, having discussions around leaving the European Union um, and we're not quite sure how that may impact in terms of EU students coming in in the future. Um, so that it does feel that there's almost a perfect storm of various kind of factors which may impact on how universities 
will be funded and the extent to which uh, they can rely on traditional funding models uh, in the future. So I think there are a lot of institutions are looking at how they can diversify their income streams, about how they can cut costs um, on non-essential services, uh, about how they can use greater efficiencies in order to reduce costs. Um, so it's, it's yeah, I, th I think we're facing very much the same sort of factors that the you've been talking about here. And there's also a wider um, discussion and conversation about alternative um, study models as well, so the accelerated degrees, a shortened version of a traditional degree, the higher degree apprenticeships as well, so where the, the vocational side becomes part of that that degree and all of that costs a lot of money to set up um, but they are gaining in popularity and then there's the competition between institutions for students who find those uh, more accessible courses that they want to get on so there's a lot of challenges there. It sounds incredibly similar uh, the challenges and the opportunities that our inst institutions are facing. Uncertainty around immigration is high here in the United States, uh, just as the Brexit discussions are creating uh, an environment of uncertainty. Uh, but innovation is high also at our uh, colleges and universities. It sounds like you are doing new and different things with data analytics, with uh, questions about service delivery and what should or shouldn't be offered to students. The same questions are being asked on our campuses. So I hope you've had a successful study tour. I think we have a lot to learn from one another, and I'm really excited that you joined us here today. Thank you for joining this Nakubo and Brief podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us.